Uh, okay, so today we have my mother and we're going a little bit of a different route. Um, we've talked about family members uh, being impacted and recently we've had a couple family members reach out asking to share their stories and just like my episode I guess the best way to break the ice is to bring in someone close that we know make it less awkward and get the format going <laughs> so Don Anderson is here it's kind of weird interviewing my mom I guess but um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, where to start? So Dawn worked for Golf Canada for 25 years, retired now. Um, she's also the woman in my life that wouldn't let me play with guns growing up, and I somehow joined the military. My fault. So, yeah, it's kind of her fault that I got drawn towards guns, because I couldn't play with any growing up. Yeah. So <clears throat> I found out that she also wants to correct some stuff from my personal experience, from my personal view, I guess. Um, you just got some dates and stuff wrong. No big deal. Not a big deal. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, in mine, I said that I pretty much joined the military because I was a little shithead. Yeah, you were right about that. And I don't think that you guys thought that I was actually going to join. Well, you weren't supposed to. Dad went with you when you went to sign up specifically to make sure you only joined the reserves. And he came back and see that work well. Yeah, he had one job and he screwed it up. But I remember Dad almost joined too, right? Didn't he? Almost, As like, a f that, listening to your episode was the first time I'd heard that tidbit. But did he confirm that after? Did I he? didn't ask. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> that that ship is long sailed. That's pretty good recruiting, though. To go down, going in for reserves, and almost go back going. Two reg force. Yeah, yeah. Two go in with one wanting to join the reserves, and you almost come out with two reg force infanteers. And I wasn't going in for the infantry either. So um, at that time, that's pretty much you can tell where the recruiting was at, right? But but even then, I didn't think that I didn't think they were you were gonna be accepted because I'm colorblind. You're colorblind. And yeah. then it took your application was taking so long, and then we found out it was because of the whole heart thing that you had growing up. Yeah. And your medical records got sent to Ottawa and it got held up there. So I, I was like, yeah. So Don, <laughs> Don, you're like thinking, you know, he's, it wasn't going to happen. No, not going to happen. Platoon, not at all. Deployed. Yeah. Then I, yeah. I was like, can I ask, what were you yeah. hoping to get beyond entry? I have no idea. I don't remember. He, now. he doesn't. He was just signing up for yeah, I do remember going in and taking the aptitude test and stuff and being like, uh, talking to the recruiters and being like, if I don't join the infantry, I'm always going to regret it. Like, they put it on you that you can switch trades at any given time. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah, well, it makes sense. I'll do my three years in the infantry, and then I've done my, like, soldiering bit, right? And then I'll do something else. <clears throat> and it's just a recruitment ploy. It's did time you to get, get you. Did you get sold it as, like, the outdoors? And Camping with a that. twist. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <clears throat> you know, maybe, maybe you're not good enough to do that. Yeah, that's just <laughs> for the real man. Well, and they had all those commercials on then, too, right? Like, join the military and guys jumping out of airplanes and all that. Yeah, very sexy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I remember after you were in and you were home on, like, a weekend or something, and one of those commercials came on and you are like, what the hell? Where's the commercial showing how to polish your boots perfectly and fold your underwear the way yeah. it's supposed to be? And hurry up and wait somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, so then I ended up getting, like, it was fast-tracked, though, like... It was like, you have two weeks to go to basic, right? 
like going to Meaford. Yeah, it seemed like it took forever, and then boom, you're going now. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, they called. I remember called, and then they were like, "Yeah, you're in two weeks. You have to be in Meaford." <laughs> and then, well, I told the story about getting dropped off. All right, and talking to the Five D Show guys, it brought up how. I remember watching Platoon, not Platoon, uh, Stripes. Yeah, Bill Murray's Stripes. Bill Murray's Stripes, which is like the wrong movie to watch. When all the way up to. there, yeah. Yeah. And then I cried all the way home. Was it an hour and a half back Stop to... Stop embarrassing me. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving along and after like 45 minutes, your dad looks over and he's like, are you, are you going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, he was laughing his ass off when I was getting just jacked up as soon as I stepped foot inside the yeah. barracks. And then... We had another funny situation after basic training. My parents come all the way up. So first I broke my foot and I wasn't on parade. So they came up to watch me sit on the sidelines pretty much. And then on the way back, uh, our whole course had gastro. So all the guys load up to everyone going to Meaford and Borden load up into a bus and they're all like, they're, they're feeling like shit. So we, I, my parents would go come pick me up. So we go and we stop, I think like Brockville or something like that. <clears throat> And uh, in the morning, my dad knocks on my door in my hotel room, and I open the door, and he's just like, oh, what the fuck is that smell? <laughs> and I had, like, shit and puked all over that goddamn room, like, everywhere. And then we saw the bus, I think, later on that day. Yeah, one of the en route stops. stops yeah, yeah. en route or something, and I guess they were having that same problem, like, in the bus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Not pretty. <clears throat> yeah, one of, one of the highlight memories that I had. And then I ended up going to Gagetown. And then... So, Don, do you oh God. actually start even picking up on the difference between, like, the basic training and the infantry training or knowing that it's a bigger deal? or Um, a little bit, but, like, everything was acronyms, right? So he would be talking to you and he was throwing all these acronyms around. He'd be like, what's that? And he'd get frustrated like, like, should know like I should know this. And I was like, dude, I... I can relate so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Every week I just sit here like, what? It's a different language. What are you guys talking about? Yeah. yeah. And even things like Kevin David, for the longest time, I thought his name was David. Oh, yeah, because you're using everyone's last name, right? right? So, like, someone who has a normal... What could be a normal first name as a last name. Yeah, I can see that being... For two years, I thought his name was David. Well, you know what happens a lot to us? I know with myself is you're seeing a lot of people face, name tag, face, name tag. It's the last name. So don't put Yeah. Bobby. Yeah, well, you don't have a first name in the military, right? You have a rank as your name. And... <laughs> so uh, this, wait, so I got, I'm just getting so excited on this part because it's like you're fast forwarding now to you graduate battle school. That parade, though, you go to. Uh, yeah, you know what? I don't even really remember I don't that remember one too much. Uh, Probably because I got absolutely shittered at the end of it. We were actually, your dad and I were concerned that you weren't going to make the flight the next morning. <laughs> As we were leaving me for, dad's like, I don't know that he's going to make that flight. Oh, I was, I remember sitting out front of the barracks. <clears throat> I don't think I slept. With my head in my lap, just like, oh my God, I hate my life. Yeah. I, I, it was Crosby and Harley and... Curtis Harley and all yeah yeah Yeah, we were a bunch of shit pots like (laughs) we were a bunch of idiots um what about like I guess it's weird for me to ask I guess but it's good knowledge in a sense did I change during the process of like basic and then yeah school and yeah, I think so in some ways not so in your episode you talked about 9-11 and how that kind of 
like the, you joining the military was a big kind of screw you to everybody teachers your parents all the adults in your life who had told you that you weren't gonna amount to anything yeah like that there was that but there was also like that whole 9-11 you were four, nine. 14 nine, yeah. or something when that happened and that had a big impact on you like you spent so much time in front of the news watching that to the point where dad and i were like do we need to get him counseling for this because <laughs> you were so and you couldn't understand how there were people in the world that would do something like that and how the president of the united states wasn't going in and just blowing the country up and like i still feel that way <clears throat> i'm joking I'm joking so as much as as much as you say it was like you know more about screw you and joining because because you had nothing else going for your life i, I it didn't surprise me at all because i could see there was something there well i'm also it woke something up in you i don't know I was also the kid growing up that, like, yeah. if the rodeo was on, yeah, I couldn't watch them tying up animals and stuff. You guys are looking at me like, you soft fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt used to bring home stray kids. Ah. Like, he had one, he brought home one kid, and this kid stunk when he walked in the house, and he's like, can he just have a shower and stay the night? Like, he's he, he's in a group home, and he ran away, and things are bad, and... I'm like, we can't keep him, Matt. Like, <laughs> he's like, just, just let him. He'll just let him have a shower and feed him and let him get one night's sleep. I'm be- still back on the 14 year old and the power of our media and a constant yeah. loop of that. We all know that. Everyone listening to this episode knows what you're talking about. That yeah. first plane hitting, the second plane yeah. hitting. Well, Different and the other angle. thing too was when it happened, him and his dad were at home. I was in Montreal. And I was supposed to be getting on a flight on my way home, and the flight obviously got canceled. And then there was a big panic about how we were going to get home. My employer went out of their way above and beyond. They were going to get us home one way or the other. But So I ended up getting home, first-class seats on a train all the way back. It was kind of nice. But, but there was so much uncertainty at that point. And even my husband was like, when I called home to say, look, we're, we're taking the train into Union, Mike's like, I don't want you going to Union Station. Like, I don't want you going there, you know? And I was like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. But, you know, the financial district, and there, there's just so just much unknown, right? Time, like, yeah. nothing like, like that. Toronto is like, yeah. everyone was thinking if Canada's getting hit, that's where something's going to happen. Nothing like that had ever happened before that, you know, in our lifetime and in our country, our yeah. continent kind of thing. So, so, yeah. So the fact that there was that added to it as well, that I wasn't there, and I don't know if you even realize that or not <laughs> no you know what? i bringing that up now i it's again like that's what this is all about is bringing up those memories and like rehashing oh oh i keep on kicking stuff my bad but rehashing some of that stuff and then it brings back different memories it's great for processing too it's like oh yeah that does make more sense that could be why it also had more of an impact on me at that time too it's like okay now my mom's not here how is she getting home with all this yeah pandemonium going on right so I want to jump in on memories. Do you remember when you find out that Matt is going to get deployed to Afghanistan? Oh, yeah. I'll where, never forget where it. Where you are and what's happening yep. at that time. Oh, I was. Wait, okay. wait, wait, wait. If you back up. So, it, originally, <laughs> I think it was like, I tell her, so I'm in this platoon that there's a chance that I might oh, yes, end right, up. Yeah. you're not on the list at the beginning. Yeah. Because you've just got out of battle school and they've yeah. already... 
and anyone listening to know that you just don't all of a sudden sign up and go the next week. Yeah. Well, he, he sugarcoated <laughs> a lot with me in the military. Matt doesn't generally hold back. Like, he gives more information a lot of times than what we, his dad and I need. But well, for some reason, like, with this, the military, he sugarcoated a lot. Not with his dad, but with me. I think it was more just like, well, anything can change at any given moment too, right? So why get people worked up or like, I didn't know until the last minute, right? So, I mean, like when I went to the, the three platoon, it was the uh, replacement platoon. I kind of like, I didn't, I, I put it out there that it's a possibility, but very slim. And it was, it's not that it, it wasn't, it just. But at that point, I think I had kind of like, it was like, okay, they're not going to take them. They're not going to take them. They took them. He, you know, didn't, uh, he got broke, he broke my foot. got sick first, so he got oh, kicked yeah. out of basic. They got him confused with somebody else, so he lost the rotation of when he was supposed to go back into training, and he got bumped over. And so it took a long time for him to get back in, then he broke his foot, and then he had to get through battalion. And so every step along the way, we're like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make this it. This war's going to be over before he gets... Yeah, like... <laughs> And there was even a point when, <laughs> I'll never, it was funny, but when he was growing up, his dad and I used to refer to him as LB, and as in like, I, you know, Mike would come home from work and be like, you're not going to believe what LB did today. And it was always LB, LB, LB. And then one day when he's like Lazy 16, no, no. Little bastard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good guess, though. One day he's like 16 years old. He turns around and he's like, I, I know that little uh, LB stands for little bastard. So, yeah, okay. So then he's at, at me for uh, St. Jean and he, I get a phone call and it's him on the other end of the phone. And he's like, I'm quitting. I'm out of here. This is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, what's going on? And he's like, they treat me like crap here and they're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, Matt, you kind of knew that going into it. And he's like, how would you like it if somebody called you fuckface every day and blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, your dad and I have been calling you a little bastard for years and you never had a problem with that. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the next day he calls me back and he's like, thanks for talking me off the ledge. <laughs> but this is before you find out about Afghanistan. Yeah, that's yeah that happened. was way before. He was still at Meaford then. Yeah. I say way before, but like, it's really not. It wasn't long. supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen that quickly, right? Like, from the time he joined to the time he deployed was a year and a half. Something like that. That's like a lot of people's work up alone. Yeah, right? like it, it was not supposed to. From a history standpoint, it makes sense though because that's the Obama push. Well, and it was there was a lot happening with Canadian forces. There was well, a lot yeah, of... Like 06. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was when they said when they needed more troops before they left Afghanistan. It was a big push from the U.S. Yeah. side, which is going to affect Canada. Archer, Medusa, and then, yeah, it's like, that's a huge shit show. And then it's... I don't think I would have got in the military had that situation not gone on. I don't think that they would have taken... taken My area, you're flipping burgers. Yeah, it's, yeah. Which would have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. So Somebody's got to flip the burgers. But, uh, this is where, yeah, this is this is the part I want to hear because, I you know, everyone thinks of their mom and what, like you get the news. I don't fucking. So we were we were at um, my niece Janine, his cousin Janine, sitting in the backyard having a barbecue, and I might get a text from him, and I open it and read it, and I'm like, 
Matt's deploying. And Mike's like, what? <laughs> no, he's not. I'm like, here. So, yeah, that's how he told us that. Like, ruin the family? Once yeah. again, you just didn't believe it. You're just like, yeah, yeah. No, he's not. And you know what? I just actually remembered this. It was like the last weekend of the summer, like the last weekend in August. You know how, what is the la- uh, Labor Day weekend is the end of the exhibition, right? Mm-hmm. This is when they yeah, last yeah. day. So the last day of the exhibition, we, we, the next day was the next day. So Mike and I went to the exhibition and, we're, and I'm so like, I just don't even know what's going on. And so we went into the building where they were selling stuff and, and Mike's like, I'm going to go over here and look at a ladder. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Go do your thing. I'll just be wandering around here. And about half an hour later, which I don't know why it took him so long. It's his fault that this happened because take that long to look for a ladder but i bought a hot tub <laughs> i was like retail therapy yeah <laughs> that was retail therapy but well, i ended up coming home and yeah it was i ended up coming home and then yeah it was like thing. it was before quick. you left you came home yeah so like i texted and then i think it was like that same night or the next day or something no it was like it was like a week later they were supposed to give you two weeks leave to come home and then they screwed that up and they were like Oh yeah, you're deploying like on I think it was Monday. And this was they were telling you Friday. So you called me and you were like, I'm deploying Monday. And I'm like, I thought you were supposed to come home. And he's like, they they the paperwork got stuck on somebody's desk and didn't make it down. And so that never uh, happens in the <laughs> Yeah. And so we booked your flight. And you came home and we got everybody together. We went and to the Collins. Yeah. And there was all kinds of people there. We have a flag. I think you still have it. People yeah, had signed. Yeah. Um, Which became my jack-off barrier. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> As I said it, I'm like, God damn it. It's my mother we're talking to right now. Holy. Oh, my jack-off barrier. Yep. Ah, well, it is Mama's so it is proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the big-ass tents, you just, what, you string down from? No, we had partitions. No, we had. You know what? You can talk about that on another episode. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to do that here. Yeah, that's true. Wardo's like, don't talk about it. (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about, though, Wardo. He was there. So top bunk. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we had a really good time that night, and then the next morning we get up and it's Sunday, and we're all feeling pretty rough, but we'd had a good night, and. I thought, I'm just going to check his flight. <coughs> Excuse me. It wasn't until later in the day, but I'm just going to check and make sure it's on time. Well, while we were saying goodbye to him, a hurricane was blowing through the East Coast and his flight was canceled. And so we called the airport and they said, there's one flight out at whatever time. We'll try and get you on it. But we had to get there. So anyways, we grabs his stuff, throw everything in the car, we get to the airport, they couldn't get him on. And they tried, they really tried. And then finally there was, they said, look, um, and he's in uniform. Yeah, I wear my uniform to spice it up a little. <laughs> and so finally they were combat, like, look. So you're number ones. Oh, desert combat. Oh. And I think you're, uh, I don't know, if a sergeant or whatever. <clears throat> said get a flight to fly into nova scotia and we'll send somebody to pick you up oh that was the yeah i remember that because i couldn't fly into fredericton so right. for some reason they don't have radar 
And then, because that airport is fucking tiny. And then, yeah, so they were like, you can fly to Halifax. Right. And then, so, and then I also remember, so I go through security and everything. And we're doing our goodbye, because he's deploying. Not everyone. I was tough as nails, not going to lie. Everyone else was teary-eyed and all sappy. So I go through and then come back out. Yeah, and it's like he comes back. It's yeah. like, oh, you're not, you're not leaving. We gotta do this <laughs> yeah, goodbye do this again. again. <laughs> Let down. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's like Joe again. Everything, eh? It was yeah. like a. It was a. It was a. Yeah, it was a big ordeal. And so you had other guys. You're pacing in the airport talking to whoever higher ranking boss, and you got guys packing your kit for you because the kit uh, had to be there that night. And you were like, I hope they packed it. And yeah, it was a complete. Oh, <clears throat> no, this is back at the shacks. You had to have back at my house. So I forgot about that until right now. It was like everything was fastball. Like you wouldn't believe, right? So they, they were trying to be, the military was actually be trying their best to be as accommodating and nice about it. But it's like now I'm stressed because I'm going to see my family on a sh- like very short notice, very short period of time to say goodbye. I don't have my kid all together. Like I have my kid together, but I don't. You know what I mean? Like when you're in the military, you have your barracks box with your shit, but like you still want to go through it to make sure like you're going away for seven months. And then, then my flight's delayed and stuff. And then it's like, oh, well, now you're going to Halifax. Now it's like, it got to the point where they're like, you may not even make your chop. Yeah. Like, I may not rent out at all. Well, and then they said they were going to send somebody driving from, from Gagetown to pick them up at the base in Halifax. But then they closed the roads and they couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. So then in the morning, he had to get the first flight in the morning from Halifax to New Brunswick back to Fredericton and then I guess she just ran. Yeah. yeah, it was a shit show. It was wow. an absolute shit show. Yeah, I had to get a hotel. I didn't even land in Halifax till late. Yeah. Get up super early and then take the first flight to Fredericton and get picked up there and then pray to God that the guys that packed my shit did it well enough that I'll be alright when I get to Afghanistan. And you know what? It was like four weeks. It was just like four weeks before that, you had called home and you were talking to your dad on the phone saying, yeah, so I was issued my, it was, probably wasn't even four weeks. I was issued a sidearm today. I don't know how to load it or fire it, but I was issued one. <laughs> was and that I'm like, nine mil? Yeah, you're browning nine mil. So that's, I didn't even fire that until I was in country, right? So like we, we were doing like fry runs of it in stores. So that... Everything was just a complete shit show in my, my situation. <laughs> Nothing was straightforward. Did you go over ahead of him? Like, were you part of the original Talking group? Talking to Wardo here. Sorry. So, mine was super smooth. My whole process. So, I think I flew out September 15th. You were coming from Hamilton, though, right? No, Petawala. Okay. So, we were all up in Petawala. And then we drove down to Trenton and flew out of there. So, but you were a part of the because Matt was a replacement. Yeah. No, so so the, so the way that like he so Dave was with Argyles. I'm a reservist, so I was the decision that he was supposed to make. What? I was a reservist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The recruiting decision. Whoa, that almost <laughs> fell in. <laughs> You're thinking way too smart. Here. <laughs> so with me, like. Instead of having us all out in Gagetown, they kept us up in Petawawa, and we were attached to 2CER, an engineer reg- regiment, and then when it came to training out in Wainwright and stuff like that, we would attach the golf company to our CR, but we were separated from them the entire time except for Wainwright and Texas and, and 
Yeah, See, and you didn't go to Wainwright or Texas no, I mean, or you any of that stuff. You had about ten times the training Matt did to go over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I tons doing. of time. It was very smooth. It was a year of workup. Yeah, that happened. that makes sense. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I, didn't I shouldn't that. have been put through that quick. That's. But we, I wanted. I volunteered it. Well, and well, we, even, we were excited because you were you were on the rifle team. Yeah, the command, the SIPSAC team. Yeah. And you were. Apparently, who, who knew a good shot and knew there was a possibility you were going to Germany or someplace to compete. And yeah, it was they ended like, up going to Beasley, yeah. And I, so Mike and I were like, yeah, okay, so here's something good. And then it's like, what do you mean? You're, you can't. I was going to a two-way range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, so then we ended up, I don't know what communication I had with you from the time that I actually got back to Fredericton and then went to Afghanistan. Like, I don't know when the next time I would have talked to you guys was. You know? Do you remember that? It was like... Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what did that... What was that like? You know, we So, well, you called my mom. Oh, Hoppe? Yeah. yeah from Germany or somewhere. One of your... Sweden, maybe? Yeah. So, my mom, who has, like, short-term memory, that's who he calls. <laughs> There's so many things. I'm going to be annoyed with you when we get home. <laughs> um, and then I, I don't know, I remember, so Facebook was relatively new then, and I, I started a, a Facebook, I went on Facebook so that I could keep in touch with you. So, and I remember a lot of times I would get up in the morning and go onto Facebook, and if I hadn't heard from him... You could see if he had been on recently or not. I don't know if it's changed, but I could tell, okay, he was on in the last four hours, so he's okay. Yeah, he's it's okay. just starting to happen in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was one of, everyone was using Facebook over there at that point. Was, everyone had their own laptop, which was cool too. You wouldn't even, because you could get these, these cards that every month you get a certain amount of minutes to call, or you could go on the trailer, there would be trailers with computers and you can go on the internet there and do your Facebook and shit. But that's, it was like garbage. At least this way you could do it from your, your bunk, right? It was kind of cool. I just thought of something about your colorblindness playing oh. a role. Um, so you were at the gun for the range and there's like a thing where they stand down, they hold up the, the targets. Yeah. One of them has lights and one of them Something about you couldn't see the color, so you had to have somebody tell you where. So that you know the orange markers that they put in, like you're for your grouping, your best grouping. There's orange markers that they stick to show you to show you your best. Yeah, your best grouping, and and like at first they'll put in smaller ones and show you where everywhere is hitting, and then like when you start getting in closer, they'll give you the bigger target, the bigger orange. But I from like the 500, I wouldn't be able to see that. Like there's not so like. How how can that be okay? <laughs> and yeah. you start playing with a white golf ball and I go yeah. with Matt because if I play with a colored golf ball, he's like, I can't it? see it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like uh, I remember in basic when you go out, they have this course that or like a lesson where it's why things are seen, and I remember just like sitting in the back, like please don't fucking pick me for anything, and it was like I couldn't see a helmet out there, I couldn't see anything. Don, it's okay. Taliban wears white. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question for you. Um, I know, coming from my personal experience, what my mom was saying, what she went through, all of this. Like your day to day while he was deployed, what were some of the things that you were experiencing while he was gone? 
So <laughs> uh, it was like it was one of those things where it's the last thing you think about when you go to bed at night, and the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning, <clears throat> and then a hundred times things you think about during the day. Like I had RSS feeds set up on my computer at work so that if anything came through the news, it was popping up right away. And <clears throat> and he kept saying to me, "Don't worry, like you're not. If anything happens to me, you're not going to hear about it in the news. You'll." somebody will come and see you like you're not but that still doesn't you still don't believe it like you still can't help but look right like you want to know what's going on and then there was actually an incident where and I remember it <clears throat> it was uh, so 2008 it was so your incident was December 13th and I think it was like the week before and my Christmas party for work was that night. And there was a funeral going on in uh, Toronto. And Globe and Mail reporter was, was it Globe and Mail or CBC? I can't remember. Was at the funeral and some of the um, other soldiers that were in attendance at the funeral were talking about another incident that had just happened that day and the reporter overheard it and went to print they went to print with it before the next kin had been notified and it was all over the news and I was supposed to be leaving work early to go home and get ready for a Christmas party and I, there's a 1-800 number that they call you, give you when you've got somebody overseas. It's the hotline or whatever. I'm so, first seen military family <clears throat> So I'm calling this 1-800 number. Well, anybody who has somebody in Afghanistan right now is calling that 1-800 number because they're all feeling the same way. Is it was it my like, right? And uh, so it was busy. I couldn't get through. Couldn't get through. So then finally, I called and my, my boss comes down and I'm a mess in my office and he's like. Poor Craig. Like, he's like, are you okay? And it's like, no. And so I called my husband. I said, look, you got to start calling. I got to leave the office. They're closing it. I don't want to call while I'm driving because I don't want to have that conversation while I'm driving. So can you keep calling? So I drive home. By the time I get home, Mike had got through and he was okay. And so I walked in the door and Mike's like, I talked to them. He's okay. And I just started bawling. I just because it like you're holding it in and you, you know that adrenaline um yeah and it was just it was like yeah so that was my first like real well actually no I had one prior to that where he called me at work and uh, I'm talking to him on the phone. This is like, I don't know, three or four weeks prior to that. And, and I was kind of, I was surprised. It was like, because normally you get the phone calls later from him because of the time difference. But he called me at work and it was a nice little surprise. And then I heard gunfire in the background. And I'm like, and it was like loud in the background. I'm like, um, do, do you want to hang up and call me back later? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, no, 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 it's good. I'm in a, I'm in a good spot. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I think it was at MSG. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, not the best spot, but it's like, it's being taken care of kind of thing. It's like... Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> that had happened, and then this had happened, and it was like, you know, 
a couple months of it was pretty quiet and just keeping tabs on Facebook and the phone calls every once in a while. And it was always a, a Hawaii number. Oh, you yeah. know, because <laughs> it was a sat phone, right? That's so, true. and uh, so, anyways, and then those two things happened. It was kind of like now you're getting a taste of you already are not happy about it, but now it's like, shit, this is real. That must have just blown your mind away. Your gunfire in the background one time when you're listening. Yeah, and, and but he's like so nonchalant about it. Like it happens all the time, right? Like, ah, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And I'm like, no, really. But how about you call me back later? There be so many times, especially at MSG and Wilson and stuff. Like the guns going off, like artillery going off, and MSG. It seemed like the helicopters always got shot at. Like I don't know why, but there's always something going on. Well, but, and then you came home for leave in November. So you no, only, September. September. No, you left. Or was it November? Yeah, you left. I thought it was September that I came right You back. went, you deployed in September, and then you came back in November for your leave. And um, you didn't, you, at the airport, you were, I don't have a good feeling. Yeah. It got to the point where, like, a lot of us didn't really have great feelings. Like, even the day that the boys got blown up, um, uh, Jeff Blair before going out he was waiting to go on his hlta this was his last patrol and like just the way that it happened with like going getting sent away coming back like it just nothing felt really right about it and then <clears throat> i remember sitting at, on the back of the ramp he's sitting on the back of the ramp and he's just like i, I don't know about this one and you're just like you know like the spidey sense is almost tingling and then same with yeah there was a lot of times where i had like who did you fly back with who were you? Who went on leave with you? Because I can still see you guys waving. No idea. I don't remember now. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I remember it, like but you have this when they left to go back to Afghanistan. This picture of the two of them leaving the airport. In my mind, like yeah, yeah, I can see them in my mind. Yeah, was, there was definitely times. Like even looking back, I was talking recently to someone else where there's there's times where I was like, I don't even want to like I'll, if I don't need to go out on patrol, I'm cool with like sitting at the camp. Almost every day we were going outside the wire, and it's like, the more and more shit happens, the more and more you're like, eh, yeah, it's a, like, when's my time coming, right? But it's, uh, especially our tour, it was like, or I don't know if you remember, it was on a, like, a daily basis, we were getting told about guys losing legs, losing arms, guys with, like, there was a lot of death on our tours. Near the end of our deployment, yeah, we were doing ramp ceremonies almost every week. It was very demoralizing. Yeah. There was a lot of guys, a lot of casualties, a lot of deaths. And what would happen is, since we were in Camp Nathan Smith, we weren't at Kandahar Airfield. That's where they actually they, they do a huge ceremony there, and they put the caskets on the plane and then fly the troops back home, right? But in Camp Nathan Smith, we would stand by the cenotaph with the Padre, and then we would have our moment of silence for our fallen there. And we were doing them almost every week yeah. at the end of our deployment. It was extremely demor demoralizing. Like the, the enemy was doing their job. Well, wasn't it, first of all, it was supposed to be winter. And they don't fight as much in the winter yeah, because it's too cold. They don't come out and play, that's for sure. But, but they were. Well, they were setting up, that's when they set up a ton of IEDs. Yeah. So that was the thing. Like, we would get so many times that we'd find out, like guys someone just lost two legs and then they also because of the guy in front and behind then they that's three guys taking out um you know what i mean like that kind of thing and there would be, be days that it would be like uh you know 
six injured, three of them are VSA, vital signs absent, and then, you know, like, two hours later, it's like, oh, another three guys just got hit, too. And it's like, it, a lot of that stuff doesn't hit the news, right? Like, if there's no deaths, yeah. then that's not hitting the news. So there'd be days where it was like, you'd find out just through comms that there's shit going on. And you'd hear explosions all the time, too. And then it would be like, oh, yeah, we just lost somewhere else. And it's like, oh, that was, like, we heard that just down there. <laughs> and from a morale standpoint, you're not getting to see the enemy because that's a bomb going off. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what she was saying is, it's like, they don't come out. They're not playing pokey chess with us they're setting up IEDs and then running away so it's like you don't even get to fire back it was very demoralizing and very. I remember in the news media at that time they were talking about how um, Canadian soldiers were being targeted what value of life sorry like the, the Afghan were like, like, to answer this right the, a Canadian soldier making the news dead that's like, it's rare compared to like an American, so it has more value to it, and it's a higher price, higher target. No, I think the Americans didn't. It was a high one too on the American. It's just it's. I don't think the Americans like put it in the news that much. They that kept was it. Kind of, yeah, there, that was another controversy going on at the time. Yeah. They weren't allowing reporters to see the bodies or anything where the Canadians were. But I think what I'm trying to say is, it, twenty Taliban being killed had no meaning to us here. Where politically, if you lose a Canadian that has a lot of voting repercussions on it. So the enemy is very smart to know that that's very political if we take mm -hmm. out, very valuable to take the Canadians out. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look at it, you know, that way when I was reading the news, it was like, somebody's trying to kill my kid. The obvious will get yeah. 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 But, um, you know, it's funny, as we're talking, there's like all these little things that pop into my head that I was like, oh, I forgot about that. And, like what? Um, well, I remember you telling me a story about how uh, <clears throat> a camel snuck up behind you on patrol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, yeah, uh, we were getting told, again, more, I don't know if you remember getting told about, like, donkey-born and camel-born IEDs. So it was like, yeah, I was carrying the C9. Yeah, so I was carrying the C9 and certain towers turned around. So I was I was at the very back of the patrol. And then it's like, my sergeant turns around. And he's like, Anderson, like, get up here quick. And I'm like, what? Like, not even really thinking about it. And he's like, like, there's camels and donkeys, like, right behind you. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, like, I guess you do have to take that serious. And I guess they did end up being successful using donkeys and camels eventually. Jeez. Same with, like, kids and stuff, right? They were doing... But it's a, it, that's, yeah, it's, again, very demoralizing because there's lots of kids there. And you thought the C standard for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> run, camel, camel, run? Run, yeah. Well, then, uh, so I remember calling you guys after the boys got blown up. Yeah. And December 13th sticks in my head as much as it does yours. Yeah, that's what I want. I think, how, yeah, how did you, how did you find out about this? He called. He called. Um, and you can tell from his voice, like, this is... Oh yeah, as soon as I answered the phone, I knew, I'm like, what's wrong? And so he just blurted it out and told me, and now I'm like hyperventilating. I, I, so I give the phone to his dad, and I sit down on the couch, and I'm listening to Mike talk to him. And Mike is being very, um, he's like, okay, tell me everything, don't leave anything out. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, you're going to get your shit together. 
you're gonna go get cleaned up and you're gonna go and do this ramp ceremony and you're gonna make these guys proud. You're gonna do what you have to do. The 158 Podcast is proud to partner with the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation, helping injured and ill first responders, veterans, and military members. Helping Heroes Heal Foundation unites and empowers our nation's heroes through their favorite activities, sports, and adventures. Learn more about how they can support you or how you can lend your support to the foundation by visiting them at helpingheroesheal.ca. So he gets off the phone, and I said to Mike, he's pacing. Mike is pacing the kitchen. We didn't have a big kitchen, but... (laughs) And he's like, I said, "Um, you were like a little bit hard on him, weren't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I was. If that's what I got to do to make sure he comes home the same way he was when he left, then that's what I'm going to do. And he was pissed. He was furious. Like, I guess it was the only anger he could have, right? Like, he couldn't... Everybody was always asking me if I was okay, are you okay, are you okay? I don't know how you do this, which is one of the stupidest things that used to drive me nuts because it's not like I had a choice in this situation, right? I couldn't do it. Well, yeah, you would because you don't. Anyways, um, but nobody ever asked him, Mike, how he was. Like, and it, it, I mean, he carried a lot. And, uh, but that day he was... Yeah, he was pretty, he was coiled pretty tight. And uh, so then, of course, we know it's on the, it's, we know it's happened, but it hasn't hit news yet. So we're watching the news, watching the news. And this is where hindsight, I was like, so anyways, I'll, so we see that we're reading the news and it's like this blast. These are the three soldiers that were killed and um, RCR2, Golf Battalion, Golf Company. Golf Company um the quick qrf quick reaction force so i'm reading it and i said to mike i'm like qr like what's qrf what's this quick reaction force and mike is like i I don't know and he just kind of storms out and i thought his response at the time was a little bit odd but we had just had that phone call and he was pretty wound up from that so i i kind of let it go but so matt had told me all i knew was that he was part of a security team and that he was doing like escorting people to meetings and standing guard at the door like that's what he told me his Again, job I was, was. Downplaying a little bit, I guess. yeah <laughs> but he had told his dad what he was really doing so mike knew but he didn't want to tell me and yeah so yeah, it was like, especially like that day, I remember talking to dad and it's like when he's saying like what happened. And so it's like explaining how we're QRF and then like you're essentially you're going out and you are doing security. But it's like you're going out and trying to find a massive bomb essentially and then doing the security so that you don't get ambushed while the engineers are taking care of it and so on. But that's exactly what happened. We hit the bomb we were looking for. So it's... I can see why he would be like frustrated because it's like, and he's going to keep on doing this. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, right. What's up, Wardo? Well, I wanted to ask, like, did you notice anything change in him during the progress of this deployment and when he got home? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of things changed. Like, he went, he left pretty enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And. <clears throat> Um, 
I mean, it's what he trained for, right? And yeah. so I get it. I, I, I sort no, I don't get it. But, um, and then I remember when he came home in November. There's always this topic, the conversation about you know, like, should we be over there? Is this war the right thing? Should we? And I remember somebody said something, and Matt said, you know what? You would have to be a pretty cold-hearted bastard to go over there and see the conditions that those kids live in and not want to do something to help. It's got nothing to do with nothing else for me. It's just wanting to help. And the kids are innocent. So that must have been a relief for you to hear him say that. Yeah, and before he deployed, I guess there were other companies that have deployed out of Gagetown ahead of him, and when they came back, they were a little bit... Uh, I don't know if racist is the right word, but... Um, yeah, Muslim community, and and I remember Matt saying, "I don't want to be like that. Like I don't like he." So he saw it, and he was aware of it. Um, it happened though. Yeah, it did. Uh, especially like after the like, HLTA is one thing. Like nothing really of yeah. significance had happened, and like even you know we got suicide attacks, and there's you know, dead Afghans and stuff like that, and it still sucks. Well, and it's like now you're carrying your friends off the battlefield and then also wondering who else is going to get killed. Am I going to get killed? And then that that whole that experience completely changed my life. Obviously, yeah. changed my whole perspective. And like, especially coming home too. like, after, yeah, I, my gaff, which is your give a fuck factor, was completely gone. I couldn't give a fuck less about anyone or anything in that country. Um, and like, even to the point where my my hypersensitivity got to the point where like coming home even seeing someone in man jams and stuff like that I, like I would be pissed and it's it's not like a, a pre like I'm not occupied in the thought of this specific demographic it's that my body would react to it it was like bringing bringing you back right and then and then you get flustered you get frustrated it's like how do you release that well, in our society, as a male that's a veteran, it's very common to just fall into that, like, anger and hostility. But well, your fight or flight's been played with for the last <clears throat> eight months or nine months. Well, that was the other Maybe thing, like, just like fought. Our, at the beginning of our tour, we didn't have a ton of stuff. Like, our sister, Platoon 4-1, got into a heavy firefight, suicide attack, lots of close IEDs going off, lots of IED dismantling pot shots stuff like that but like nothing serious and then when that happened and it felt like that was the beginning of like now there's a ton of IDs and now everyone's getting hit so it's like it kind of started off slow and then just fucking took off well, that, that's how it felt for me at least maybe it's because that one incident made me more aware and changed my perspective but that's how it felt at least no, I, I, think, agree. Like, I, I think yeah I feel like me personally that when I was there it seemed fairly quiet we were doing a lot of like um meetings with village elders and then we also did a lot of food drives and stuff like that in this one compound and like doing a lot of humanitarian aid uh force protection going out and helping villages build wells and stuff like that but then yeah it was near that halfway mark like when i was in new zealand and we lost our guys it just seemed like everything after that the temple just went through the roof and yeah it was like it was pretty dangerous like it was continuously yeah. like something was going on yeah. someone was getting hit maybe not our call signs but like some sort of 
NATO ally was getting hit, either American or, and a lot of the times it was us as Canadians well, were getting bombed. From a sitting at home in my comfy, you know, <laughs> house watching the news, it was from a media perspective, like from seeing what we were seeing in the media, it was like, it was huge. It, and maybe I was hypersensitive to it, yeah. but it was, I don't think so, because I was paying attention oh, before that too, I, right? Yes. Like, I was going to say, I couldn't imagine for you being at home, having to deal with just, all you have is the media, and then hopefully he calls home yeah. once in a while. Like, that's terrifying. Well, and we weren't even, we weren't near a base, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like we had other parents that we could reach out and you know like i said people would say to me i don't know how you do this and it just seemed like the stupidest thing you could say I bet you and it would piss me off you were that close they would have brought you into that support network because we were deployed we we're from hamilton yeah we were deployed at the same time right and you would have had that network to talk to like my mom would was you? involved in stuff like we didn't have anything. Were, yeah, that's, we had a one eight hundred number. We had a one eight hundred well, number exactly. Again, like I'm almost the anomaly though, where it was like everything was so fast tracked that it's like they were putting pieces together on the go. So how like trying to find all those resources and get the connections and stuff, it just we were already having problems just getting me to the country. So <laughs> So Don, I, I gotta jump right in here. He gets home, are you going, What the fuck happened to my son? Um so <laughs> yes. Yeah. He 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 was engaged town for about two weeks before he flew home to us, and uh, I remember I still remember picking him up from the airport. I left work early. I got to the airport like an hour and a half early because <laughs> I didn't want to be late, right? Like, and I'm sitting there, and the whole time, an hour and a half, I'm like, "You will not cry. You will not cry. You will not cry. You will not cry." And then as soon as I saw him, it was like. <laughs> and he came in, over to me he dropped his bag he hugged me and i remember him saying in my ear it's okay i'm safe now and then i was like Whoa! wow way to embarrass me yeah and then and then he was like are you gonna be okay to drive <laughs> yeah. wait where's your dad no, he didn't. He was working, and um, like I said, he'd been home at two weeks. For two weeks at that point, he had been engaged town. We just hadn't seen him. And so at first, we didn't, there wasn't a whole lot. And of course, you're, you know, they give you the, these brochures, right? We did get a package, and with all these brochures, what to look for, PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And there were some things, and again, hindsight, right? At the time, it was like... I remember one morning uh, he was pouring a coffee and his his hands, he had such bad shakes. And I remember saying to him, how come you're shaking so much? And he was like, oh, I just, I haven't had anything to eat yet. And I was like. Booze are wearing off and <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> going in the car, he didn't want to drive. And going out on garbage day and stopping at red lights, you could just feel the anxiety coming off him. Garbage day was bad. We went to a driving range and it was like the one on Highway 6 there. It's just like a tiny, not a big space. And they dropped the balls out into the basket. He almost went, like he, had, he, started, he just broke out in a sweat and had to walk out because the noise of the balls, I guess, is similar to gunshot I don't know I don't even remember I just, just everything's <clears throat> so hypersensitive right like um, and it's 
Like, and I also remember at that time I was really struggling because, like, you almost get made fun of if you were, like, hypersensitive to anything. Like, it was, like, it's just the way that the culture was in the military, right? Fuck, like, and that's what makes you survive. Yeah, exactly. It's like you relied on that that whole time, and then now you just completely turn it off, and it's like, I'm, I don't know. I, and there's hindsight again. It's like being able to disconnect from I'm not there anymore. And it, like knowing that my body's reacting to that and I need that adjustment and so on and so forth. But that takes a fucking long time. I don't care who you are. That takes a long time to adjust. Um, well, I remember getting up in the middle of the night and coming down and you're sitting in the living room in the dark at like three o'clock in the morning. Just sitting there. Two to four shift. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> We never really had to do too many of those. It was just, I, I just, I don't know. Wardo yeah, 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 yeah. had to do all those for me. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do remember, like, I was so lost in, I had so much survivor's guilt. So much. Like, uh, to go back to, like, how, I, I'm pretty much a super sensitive guy. Believe it or not. Um, and, like, kids, kids are, like, there's something, even before I had my own kids, it was, it's kids like there's so it's such an innocence to children so i would always get stuck with like i didn't have kids and two guys we lost two guys and it like this is what i used to say in my mind is it should have been me like that should have been my vehicle not even thinking about how the other guys in the vehicle still had kids and they probably will have lost their lives too but it's just you get so self-centered on the negativity and down that rabbit hole and yet like it's it's impossible to get out of that that rabbit hole uh, and you go down it real quick. You were at home. You were supposed to be home for two weeks. You came home. You bought a car, and I think you left like yeah, four days know. later. Went and partied hard with the boys. Yeah, which is just another disaster. It's like yeah, it's so <clears> just <throat> an escape from. Well, another at. another thing like we would get to come home, and Wardo's experience is completely different than mine, but. We would, when you get home, you have a few weeks off, so and then they transition you into regular routines. But it's like for the first couple weeks, it's only you come in for the morning. Well, then what do you do for the rest of the day? Like, if you're a young guy that's 21, 22 years old, a pocket full of cash, a lot of uh, negative self thought and self talk. And there's other guys in the same situation. You end up going out to the bar and you chat about it there. Well, that just creates a, a poor cycle. It's a vicious cycle and it just creates more problems. And then they wonder like, how come you're not, now you're not coming into work even though you only have to come in for the morning. Well, I just like, I, I've given up. I'm not even, there's no purpose for me there anyways. Um, but yeah, that's, and then like, and then I ended up getting to the point where I almost took my life, and then that was another. I don't know what year. Well, I'm glad that was like, brother. That was that was like not too long after we got back, too. So when you hear him and his struggles, how does that make you feel? Sick. Yeah. <laughs> because there was so little. Like, we were so far away, and when it first was happening, like those things. When I said when I came home, and there was these, like, why are you shaking so bad, and. Why are you sitting up in the dark in the middle of the night? And, you know, you expect that there's going to be, after what he went through, yeah, there's going to take some time, right? But you don't, and you don't want to jump right to, holy shit, he's, 
he's in a bad way. And he 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 covered a lot of it well. Um, but you know, you just had you got a gut feeling that nothing's right. But he's only there for four days, and then you everything else is based on how he sounds on the phone, right? Like yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, it was it was hard. You know your son, and you know that he's obviously struggling yeah. with something. Yeah, there got to be a point where, and this is where a lot of it gets blurred for me, because I think probably because it was so high anxiety. Um, it's secondary trauma, really, is what it is. Yeah. Putting you through hell. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, there was a point where it got really bad, and when I was talking to him on the phone, I could his emotions would be like, he would go from laughing ridiculously to crying and like like that you know for no reason like it, it just irrational and so I said to Mike Mike and I talked about it and we were like yeah something's not right and so Mike he packed his bag threw, threw a bag in the truck and drove out to Gagetown no way and he went and stayed for two weeks I think it was yeah and that's not a two-hour drive. No. Uh-huh. And no. he, you know, like, dropped work, everything. He just packed up. Off he went. That was how concerned you guys were about him. That's incredible. And, uh, so, and, 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 like, I'm trying to remember the order that it all happened in, but I guess you guys went camping while he, were the, he was there. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys said, so Mike ended up talking more to the other guys that were with him. They, My roommates. Yeah, that told Mike, ended up telling Mike more of what happened in Afghanistan than what he had shared. And one of the guys had said to, told Mike that um, after December 13th, Matt never took his boots off. He slept with his boots on after that. I never knew that. I don't even know if that's true. That's, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm telling you right now, I was on a position with him near the end of the tour, and his gaff was so low that when we were doing a perimeter, he pulled out a lawn chair and just sat down and said, <laughs> he looked at me and goes, fuck it. <laughs> He's like, relax, dude, because I was so... Really? Uh, yeah, well, I was a reservist. I didn't experiment, experience the, the trauma that he had gone through. Well, this all makes away. me feel so much better. And he was just like... Fuck it, you know what I mean? And then, so it's nice to hear your perspective because I'm thinking that maybe Matt just no longer liked the military, that's why you got out, but I'm thinking that there's obviously yeah, more yeah. residual stuff from that deployment that... Yeah. Well, I was medically released for PTSD. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and yeah. one of the things that we had talked about, I don't, again, I don't remember when we had this conversation, but it was during all of this about how I guess there was a group that had deployed before you and came back, and they were messed up for a couple of weeks, but then kind of got their shit together. They were not a, a they were a, a, what is it, a fire team, fire, yeah, a fire battalion. Team, fire you were a security team, and oh, they're the battle group. Battle group. So they were a battle group. So they were actually engaging, right? And we were talking about why you were like, I don't understand why our group comes back and we're all a mess and we can't get our shit together and those guys came back and they were a mess but they got their shit together and we were talking about how well is it because you know their adrenaline went up but then they got to expend some of it because they were engaging where you guys never had the opportunity to release any of that adrenaline right like it just stayed with you well it's 
to look back now, I know now that those guys, there are a fuck ton of them that had issues. I was going to um, say, I think the accuracy of that might be off of it. Yeah, but, yeah, but perspective, though. At like, the time? Again, it's like, yes. And this sounds so um, pretentious, maybe. I don't know. But, like, you're so self-absorbed. And you, that's part of PTSD and trauma, too, right? Where you're overanalyzing everything. And you're always more negative about yourself. So seeing these guys, and it's like, like I, my perspective is that they were doing really well. They got their shit together. Yeah, but even like now, I'm finding out guys that from my tour that I thought were perfect, doing really well, that now are reaching out because of this podcast, being like, hey man, and like I'm, I'm struggling. Guys that have been medically released, and it's like, so it's it's hard to say in the moment, I guess. But that's a good, good topic to bring up because there is conversations based around like Bosnia and stuff where there's um, there's been incidents that have happened but then it's not like you're on a two-way firing range and you're getting to fire back and release that energy and, um, and, and like the UN missions and stuff right where you're sitting there watching so much shit happen and feeling useless and helpless and hopeless um, and then some guy's saying well hey I got blown up so like it makes it, it almost makes more sense where it's like you have that physical en- uh, injury where the mental side it's just like wish washy and there's nothing that you can put your finger on I guess right? yeah. Um, but yeah so that, I, yeah so I remember dad came out twice yeah so the fir- that was the first time he came back and he had actually gone with you to see a doctor and they were supposed to be you know getting stuff yeah, I went to that sort of MIR, day. and then, yeah, I was supposed to be getting sent to, like, a social worker, like, from the base. Yeah. And he came home, and he was like, yeah. I said, do you think, you know, things, he's going to get help? And he's like, I'm really not sure. And then it was... Like, his gut feeling is just... He, he was unsure. And I was actually talking to Matt more on the phone than Mike was at that time and I think it was Father's Day for some reason you called to talk to dad for father anyways and so every time I talk to him I'm like it's not right it's not right like this is not and so it was it was Father's Day and he talked to you on the phone and I was and I kept telling Mike like something's not right something's not right and so Father's Day he talked to you on the phone and he gets off the phone and he's like what the fuck is going on and I'm like I've been telling you like so it's he's not right and so <clears throat> we pull out the brochures and the stuff that we were giving and we start calling we're looking where to call for help so we call that number's not in service that number's not in service <laughs> we go online we look up numbers not in service or the phone wow. rings and there's no answer and it was like are you kidding me and so the 1-800 number from when you were deployed was still in the fridge. And so we decided we were gonna call this 1-800 number. So we call, we talk to whoever, poor soul on the other end that answers the phone. And uh, explained her story and she said, okay, give me, uh, I'll, I'll I have to get back to you, but I will call you back. So within 24 hours, she called back and she said, okay, so here's the deal. I have the number for the base commander at Gagetown. It's his cell number, so it will go directly to him. And this is Sunday morning now or something. And uh, she said, I'm gonna tell you, before you make this phone call, your soldier is probably not gonna speak to you for a very long time. So 
make sure you know what you're doing. So we got off the phone, we talked about it, and we're like, you know what? <clears throat> we would rather he be alive and not speaking to us than not be alive. So Mike called. That's quite the decision you yeah. made. Like just it, and it, we didn't make that decision lightly either. Like we talked about it. That's a base like, command. People listen yeah. to this podcast. On a Sunday. Know that. Yeah, like that. They know how deep that is too. So we, uh, so Mike called and he was not the base commander, whoever he was, was not pleased to get the phone call. But. Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so Mike called him and he gets him at home in the backyard on a Sunday, Father's Day, and starts telling him, look, like, this is what's been going on. We're in Ontario. We've tried. There's, like, help us. Something very bad is going to happen. We're talking 2009. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so June. It was June 2009. And... Uh, Three months after I've been home. Yeah. And so he... So the more he talked, the more uh, the base commander was like, I wish I knew his name, but he was like, he started to appreciate the situation and he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. I'll call you back. <clears throat> so he calls back a couple hours later and he says, um, I'm sending the MPs over to his place and we're going to bring him in. And we're like, okay. Um, and so then... He calls back again like an hour later and he's like, okay, the MPs arrived. And he was good. He was being good about keeping us informed. He's like, okay, the MPs got there. He's there. Um, there were a bunch of guys that he had deployed with. They were all there and I guess they'd been up all night drinking and talking and it was not pretty. And we're like, okay. And uh, so, you know, thank you very much for your help and blah, blah, blah. And and they were supposed to be bringing him into the medical facility. So then a couple hours goes by and we were going to wait and the next day call the medical facility and, you know, get details. And a couple hours goes by and he calls and he's like a mess. And he's like, I can't believe what just fucking happened. The MPs came into my place and I kick in my door, kick in my door and, and I'm like, Wow. Okay. It's and I totally and I and I said, I'm pretty sure the MPs were like drawn on me too. It was, yeah. yeah it was ugly. Jeez. But we had kn we knew that you had already tried to commit suicide at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, anyways, he's telling me everything about what happened, and I said, I I know we're the ones that called. And he was like, you what? And he yelled and screamed at me and hung up the phone. And, so, and I said to him, like, where are you now? And he's like, at home. I just, I have to go back. I, I uh, have to show, I have to go tomorrow. I have to show up at the medical office tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. So he's yelling and screaming, hangs up the phone, and now he won't answer my call. He won't text, he won't nothing. And, and I'm like, what, like, what the hell? So we call back the MP's office and they're like, no, we've, everything's fine. He's going to show up at, he's going to report tomorrow morning at the medical officer, the medical officer, everything's fine. And we're like, okay. So how do we find out that he, whether he actually does this or not? 
And he said, well, you can call us back. So in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, we call back. Did he report? We don't know. It's like, what do you mean you don't know? You were supposed to bring him in. So you've just left him now for 12 hours. He was already in bad shape. Now he's fired up. Like, where is he? And, so, and Mike is actually the one doing all the phone calling. And so he, they put, us, put him through to the medical officers, whatever, the hospital there, whatever. And whoever the person Mike gets on the other end of the phone, Mike's like, I'm trying to find out if my son is there. Gives him the details. That's confidential information. We can't share that. And Mike's like, look, explains the situation. We can't share that information. And Mike's like, okay, here's the deal. It's 9 o'clock in New Brunswick. It's 7 o'clock where I am right now. I can guarantee you that I will be standing at your desk in front of you before you go home tonight if you don't tell me whether my son is there or not. And so then she's like, hang on, puts my hold, comes back. <laughs> and she's like, yes, he is here. He's reported in. And Mike's like, it, well, is he, are you um, admitting him? I can't share that information. Mike's like, Ugh. so he gets off the phone. I said, so do you think, we talked about, do you think he's going to actually get the help that he needs this time? And he's like, no. And he went upstairs, packed a bag. Back out to New Brunswick. Back out wow. to New Brunswick. This is trip number two. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he did it a couple times. And, like, would go on to base and, like, start going to people's offices and stuff. And that's... I've always said that I've been lucky because I've had a great support network. Like, that's a huge thing that I think is missing in so many guys' lives. And a lot of guys who join the Army or the infantry, say, uh, you know, come up from uh, poor upbringings. And it's no fault of their own. And then they don't have that support network. Where, like, how many other parents are going, you know... 14-hour drives multiple times in a few months to go and try and find answers for their kid. But, you know, in all fairness, um, the military doesn't really encourage that kind of support no, outside. They discourage it. Yeah, it's Yeah. We were told this is our problem. Mind your own business. And it's like, what? Matt, your what? mom needs to come in to check on yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what ends up happening. And then the, that's where all of, like, the stigma and everything yeah. comes in too, right? And it's like... Well, you're a soldier, you, this is what you signed up for. And it's like, man, at the end of the day, we're all humans still. Like, give me... And, like, I was putting in memos and uh, compassionate memos for compassionate leave and stuff, asking to come back to be here. Or and, to be posted closer. Yeah, posted like, at least, like, to pet so I could go home on weekends and at least be with, like, family and friends. And, like, specifically family. And they're denying that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just crazy how it works. And... I think that's like a huge piece is like having a good support network, right? It's so true because especially in, when you're in a rec force situation, like when I flew home, like we came into Toronto, my family was there on my first deployment, but on my second deployment, I was in Edmonton. I didn't have anybody. Yeah. And I knew that when I was coming back to base, there was going to be no one there for yeah. me. And that was... That's demoralizing. I it. I, and that's probably why I'm a bit jaded as is. Luckily, I had a friend and his wife there, and they saw me. Like, So I did have somebody. I was actually quite surprised. I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, the Red Force it's a different soldiers, life. yeah, they, they're separated that's from their, their loved ones, their family, and they, they're dealing with this mess pretty much by themselves. Yeah. So I, I remember cases. You, brought up, crazy. you brought up a good point, that, like coming back home, too, that uh, – we were supposed to be flying in a specific day, 
And then we ended up having two Pry Alphas on the flight with us from Germany to when we are to Canada. So we ended up having to go to Ottawa first. So we stopped in Ottawa. So that switches the days and stuff. So then everyone who had family in Fredericton, that's fine. But if you don't have family in Fredericton, like what do you tell? Like, first of all, you have to not give up your chalk date until you're out of country for operational secrecy. And then then try and arrange shit like it's fastball so it, that was another thing coming home there's like a group of five of us that are walking off the plane and it's like all these family and friends and all this stuff with signs and everything and we're like all right we'll go get our cab back to base now see ya. well and they um they were calling us like every hour saying okay because you were supposed to fly to gagetown and then it got changed to ottawa so they were calling us and telling us you know that it was changing and it was like hourly phone calls saying okay the flight's flying into ottawa and it was for the longest time they didn't know where you were going to be landing yeah and then okay you're you're going to be landing in ottawa in three hours you're going to be landing in ottawa in two hours and it was like we would have if we had known we would have driven to ottawa well that was no fault of their own that was when you have guys that are that injured and they have to go to hospital it's Oh, I didn't know that. Was... Yeah, we had we had I think two or three guys that were like in critical care on the flights, and mm. that's they had to go to the hospital. So, like we didn't know that until we got to Germany, um, and then that's when everything changed. But Matt, maybe share that because maybe the, some people listening don't realize like that plane also has hospital beds in it. Yeah, right. like nurses go with uh, the injured too, and um, yeah, it's that's a little bit surreal too. Like I remember walking on the plane in Germany. We're coming home. And then there's uh, guys that are obviously not doing well, and you see them, they're on the front of the plane, and they're, like, it's a, it's, it's like a hospital bed, and IVs and everything, and then you're like, fuck, I'm getting to go home. It's like, that was kind of surreal too, right? But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then, yeah, and then here we are. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I wish that was the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like that, that was that was the experience of like being like during from your perspective when I was overseas and stuff, and then the transition home. And we've had lots of support here too with the family, and like OSIS was great when we needed them, phenomenal. You just want to end right there. You don't want to go for any further than that. Well, I, I don't know. It's okay. Let's, Don. I feel something here, and let's go with what you're kind of leading. Uh, it was a roller coaster for. Yeah, there was a lot of. There's so much. We could be here for like days talking yeah. about. Okay, well shit. then I'll, I'll ask a question. How do you feel about him and his progress and the things that he's doing now with helping heroes yeah. heal and the One Five Eight podcast? Like, how does that make you feel? So, I want to talk about how the military were going to arrest us, your oh, dad oh, and I. <laughs> Here we go. No, anyways. Um, they, uh, he's so much different. He's like a different person. He's a better person than he was before he went overseas. Before he joined the military. Because um, he's so much more self-aware. He's more self-aware at his age than I ever was. I am now. Um, but there's... It's it's like there's still something there you can tell. Like, oh yeah, like yeah. he can go from zero to hundred pretty quick, and the stuff that he's doing, I, like I always, enc- I've been encouraging him to do like the podcast and Triple H and 
you know, we talked a lot about how you gotta not let that moment in time define you, but, you know, let it guide you, I guess, kind of. But it's a double-edged sword too, right? Because there's a lot of good that comes out of it, but sometimes it's hard on them and you can see that, you know? Yeah, I mean, dealing with like, it's heavy stuff, right? Like even doing this and then family members reaching out and that's been actually one of the bigger positives, I think. But then I'll get personal messages from different guys and, and, and it's, it's great. I don't ever want to discourage any member or veteran to ever reach out and, and to talk with me because I'm saying this, but it's a lot to take on at times. It's a lot to take home. Um, what, I think what Matt's trying to say here is if he doesn't get back to you right away, it's because it, it is quite, like I notice that you send these messages back when they come out and, and they're yeah. very, you send a very detailed a very from the heart message and yeah i think that takes a while to put together so if you're sending one in maybe it's just gonna take a day or two to get yeah yeah stops. and like sometimes it'll be heavy too like that'll engage in a conversation that could last literally all day and it's and then all of a sudden like a girlfriend or a wife is messaging too and and it's um it's like that it's, it's like being an addictions counselor, or I would even say like a psychologist or something. I have a newfound respect for psychology, or specifically psychologists, because that's a lot of information and a lot of detail that's put on you that at some point you have to go, okay, this is, I've done everything that I can that I think I can give back and help without letting it just sit in your mind and ruminate, right? Like I'll, I'll spend time at night being like, oh, I, maybe I should have said this or like pointing them in this direction or something like that. And then suicides happen, right? So it's like, then you, like when James took his life, like that was a whole nother thing too. That um, was a big, that was, that was like an impetus for yeah, like a I, lot more bad, but then ultimately, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Corporal McMullen, he, I think 2011. So I ended up, I was back home was doing like construction and stuff and things were going like relatively well it was almost like i i pretty much buried the military and i was like i was done with it and then i get a phone call and i'm on the job site and it's like uh it's steve again my old roommate and he's like uh man i got something to tell you and i was like okay what like he's like uh mcmullen took his life last night and then like this is like two years removed from when i tried taking my life and then it's like instantly right back into that spiral of like um a like i wasn't there for him like we spent all this time together overseas in this hostile environment and why did he feel like he couldn't reach out to me and that this is like that self-absorbed negative thought where it's all about me too which is like but uh and going back to like well if he felt that way then i obviously felt justified enough that i i should have taken my life too and like, then you start going through that thought process. So, and then like the, his kids, and then it's like, okay, well now. You know, that was actually the scariest time for me because up until that point, like it was all anger and um, like outbursts. Yeah, and feeling unjust, unjust and like. Irrational, like, like outbursts, right? But when that happened, it was nothing he it was like he shut right down and there was no emotional outburst there were no tears there was nothing there was nothing and as scary as you know your nickname for a while there was angerson <laughs> um as scary as that was 
the this was worse. It was it was bad. Yeah, that sounded for a big, big loop, big spiral. Had you met James? No. No, like a lot, of, and that was the other thing. So even here, now I'm back home, but anyone that they could ask or go to to like almost try and figure me out from that perspective, they're all out west now, too, or out east still too, right? So it's like, then who do they discuss things with? Now I'm not living with Steve. Steve's not, like, thank God for Steve, a great friend would be in contact with them. Um, but now they don't have that, where it's like, there's a different communication when you're hanging out with just the boys, and especially you have a couple beers, you get a little more deep, um, and then he would be able to almost relay that, right? Or be like, okay, he's like, He's not doing so well, but he's in a better spot, or like he's doing all right, or you know what I mean. Uh, and then they had there was none of that for them, so it was like, yeah. Yeah, I think Will was. Yeah, Will ended up being great. Yeah. He still is great. He's a stud. Well, one-eyed Willie. <laughs> we gotta get him on too. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, but. And then now, yeah, things are okay now. Wordle with the good questions. I love it. You know, you were talking about. Keeps evolving. <laughs> the things, um, one thing I was thinking when you were talking about how now, you know, dealing with stuff and how it's sometimes heavy, but it's not always like the big, it's not necessarily something big. I'm thinking about, you know, the one Thai cat game where the one thing you didn't go to, so you weren't in charge of it or organizing, you weren't hands on with it. Yeah. And you had one guy who went to the wrong gate. Yeah, he ended up having kind of like a, a, a moment, I guess you could call it. And and um, you beat yourself up because yeah, like I should have been there for him. Oh, the one veteran you invited. Yeah, like I ended up with Helping Heroes Heal. There was someone else I was taking over, like in charge of the event. And I mean, being the veteran, I kind of like, I, I get it's on me too for not really explaining and giving like great direct detail about how you can't let this person stray off or like this demographic stray off. You can't leave them alone, especially in a super high volume environment because they're gonna, their anxiety is gonna go through the roof. And then it's like, then he thought that everything was good, so then left and that veteran comes back and then now he's messaging me, like losing his mind, his girlfriend's messaging me. And then it's like, it's like I fucking let him down. It's like, you know, I'm not there. Here I am enjoying my time at, like, a pool party, barbecue, yeah. and I should have been there instead, you know? But at the end of the day, is it really, like, like where you draw that line of, like, that's my fault, or it's a lesson learned, or you know what I mean? But I had that moment where, it, and it goes back to thinking, like, if, the, if we don't find this guy now, what's going to happen? And, it, and there's the whole outburst, like, anger outburst could like take off speeding away driving kill himself kill someone else or could like be like feeling so overwhelmed that he goes and kills himself too right like, yeah or anyway what are you gonna ask for <laughs> <laughs> no I, real what i wanted to say and realistically point out is that for you being a mom having your son deploy um obviously and the fact that you remained strong at least you know you, you had that face of remaining strong is absolutely amazing and we gotta you know pay recognition to our families that are left behind when the soldiers are deployed we have people that are still deployed right now like matt was young at that point yeah. in time like 
yeah. you know, we got to make sure that we pay those respects to our loved ones that are waiting for us to come home safely. And they get forgotten about. Yeah. They're the ones that are much too, right now. It's too bad there's not a better network for it's families for, that are I not at the base. Start right yeah, there. well, this is, this is a big part of why we wanted to do this, too. It's like we could have just stuck with strictly veterans, strictly soldiers. Um, but it's like there are other people that are making sacrifices and that are involved in the community. Derek and I last night were playing golf, and then it's like we're we didn't even know we we're golfing with the CEO of Together We Stand, which is strictly um, for military families that have uh, soldiers overseas. They put care packages together and stuff and ship it to those families. It's like, I, and I said last night, I'm like, thank you for what you do. I wish you guys had done this when I was overseas for my family, <laughs> but, but like you know, always steps in the right right direction. Yeah. That's amazing to see. Progress is amazing. Um, but that's part of this too, right? It's, yeah. There's and so it's, much sacrifice. It's not just the family either. And I, I brought this up to you not that long ago for the first time. Like here we are 10 years later or something. So Friends. when, yeah, like, so Matt has a friend from grade four. They've been friends forever. He's best man at his wedding. And when Matt was overseas, Kevin used to come over and we'd get home from work and the front yard would be raped or the snow would be shoveled. And that was Kevin. Kevin would come over and he would look after us when Matt was away. And I said to Matt, like, I don't know, a month or two ago, I'm like, you know, I never asked Kevin how he was doing. Like, when you were away, I never I never checked in with him. He checked in with us, but we never checked in with him. And I still, to this day, have not checked in with him. Hmm. It is kind of like that saying of, uh, you know, you have to takes a village to raise a child kind of thing. Like, it's kind of the same thing when it goes, like, anyone in trauma, I would say. Anyone that's gone through some serious shit or, like, it, it, it takes a, a group of people to support that individual, I would say. So. But you just don't, I don't know, maybe when you're in it, you don't look around. Yeah, it's that self-absorption. Like, I'm. it's not that you're purposely doing it and, like, not thinking of other people, but you're just, for some reason, it's, like... There's just so much going on that that's what you have energy for. I'm going to go text yourself. Kevin tonight. Or you think you're the only one going through it. Well, that was a huge thing, too. Yeah, I, I always like, why am I going through this? Like, that perspective with the guys coming back from the battle group and looking at them thinking, like, these guys are still switched on, good to go, and, like, here I am with all these fucked up thoughts, and I just got back. Like, they've been sitting with it for this long, and they're doing all right. <clears throat> but then once you go in and you talk to a therapist, and it's like, yeah, I mean, like, I just saw you know, 20 other veterans today that are telling me the exact same symptoms that you're going through. It's like, oh, this isn't that abnormal, you know? Yeah. I think we'll look for an elegant way to wrap the, yep. the podcast So we're together. not going to talk about how the military, we're going to rest your dad and I? No, no, no. We'll save it for another day. <laughs> All right. That's the best part of the story right there. Yeah, me getting arrested is phenomenal. Well, and I not really you, about, us. Yeah, I know, but it stemmed from me getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cliffhanger. Right yeah. Well, I think we want to have more more family members on too to get maybe that perspective, and of course, reach out to us from from the audience. But I'm going to skip ahead here, Russell. No, Thanks I'm for coming up coming on the episode with and sharing. Well, I actually posted on the Facebook page. I posted a comment, I think, on the <clears throat> one five eight page saying it would be good to hear from some families. And then here you are. Yeah. She got all anxious about coming should've in. Kept, you yeah. shouldn't have said you anything. Got called out on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't necessarily thinking of me, but yeah, I would like to hear oh. from other. Oh, yeah. uh, sitting here, I can tell you, like, I, I know this is going to do some good out there because 
someone's going to hear something and go, oh, this connects, you know, like, you know the, the usual, oh, that's what I was thinking, and I didn't know everyone else was thinking it. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's part of the therapy of, of maybe the podcast, and what I'm going to ask is, you know, if you're listening to this and you're really getting that warm feeling and enjoying the show, share this out, share it on the social medias, and I say this every week, and I just want to drive it home, it's get on, get on Apple and, and leave those reviews and the five-star ratings. It really helps move us up like we're a small podcast but we want to have that reach out to the veteran community and it's nice when you hit a, sh- a search and we show up right away so that's what your reviews do for us by by leaving it so thanks if you're doing and the fact that you're out and i think it's going to be encouraging like i'm going to make sure that my mom hears this and i would actually like to have her out 100 hear her story yeah. she had she described some of this stuff to me she was a mess when i was gone she said my second appointment wasn't as tough on her, but that, that first one was a rocker. And the it fact that other family members can listen to your story and relate to it and share, and then maybe it will motivate them to be a little bit more vocal on the fact that this is what we had to deal with. Yeah. You know? It's and therapeutic in a sense, right? Like, yeah. to be able to share it, A, and then be able to hear it like you're going to say, and then be able to relate to it and say, hey, you know, I wasn't the only one going through it, and you know, it creates a network. It's another network. Right. We got 26 ratings already on the show. I was just jumping on. You're <laughs> <laughs> all about these ratings. Just checking us out here. <laughs> we need 50. All right. I'll, I'll rate when I. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, cool. guys. All right. Thanks for coming on.